Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story, you know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Instruction. This is Anna Vanskoit coming to you, and I'm with my two lovely, lovely colleagues who are feeling the stress these days because <laughs> we've just started. Um, their their colleges have semester started. Have I can't even speak. You guys have got me all stressed out now. Their college semesters have started, and they are in the thick of teaching. Yay! We're, we're a week in. We're a week in here at Georgia State. Yeah. yeah. Real quick again, this is Anna. I am a part-time reference librarian at a public library at, um, in the county library system in New Jersey, and I blog at firstconclusions.com. I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian at American University, which started yesterday, so it's our second day of classes. And I blog at ilquest.blogspot.com and tweet at but. Yes, we lost Rachel for a second there. I think oh, you did? she tweets at butternut squash. <sighs> Thanks. That's okay. We just we lost you for a second. And I'm Jason Puckett, and I'm broadcasting from an undisclosed location at Georgia State University, <laughs> deep in the bowels of downtown Atlanta. And uh, I blog at jasonpuckett.net, and uh, I tweet at librarian Jason. Not doing either very frequently at the moment, but that's where you can find me. Well, I think we should start out, and, and I'm not trying to be hokey or one with the earth, earth mother right now, but I think we kind of do need to take a big, deep breath, you guys, <laughs> before we jump into today's session. It's, yeah. um, I mean, I'm busy, but I'm not, compared to what Rachel and Jason are going through right now, it's, as you, as all you academic librarians know out there, and probably school librarians, school librarians about, yeah. You're um, you're getting ready for classes. Your classes are coming in. You've got new students. You've got everybody pulling you 50 million ways. And uh, I've been feeling for you. And just the brief time I've been on the phone with Jason and Rachel here, um, I think my blood pressure's gone up. But <laughs> but it's um, as we all know, you're going to get through it. And it's uh, but we're going to talk today kind of about that instruction balance and kind of maintaining that balance and what's kind of happening throughout uh, different institutions and what they're doing to prioritize these days and how they're handling it. That's kind of what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I had in mind. I've I've got a, a but first. I was um, going I, to say. As can I put always, in a plug? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jason. Uh, I am November of this year. I'm co-teaching with uh, my good friend and colleague and friend of the show, Sarah Steiner. Uh, we are co-teaching an online 
class, a month-long class for Simmons uh, Library School, Simmons School of Library and Information Science online continuing ed class called uh, Instruction Boot Camp, Library Instruction Boot Camp. Uh, it lasts the whole month of November, and we're going to talk about stuff like um, how to use learning outcomes to your advantage, um, uh, library technolo- uh, instructional technology tools, um, assessment, things like that, and uh, it's going to be the whole month of November. We will put a link to it in the show notes, and there's a link to it on my blog, one of the one of the most recent uh, blog posts on my site at jasonpuckett.net. So that's all. I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be kind of not deep, but like a week on each of these different topics, and I think it's going to be fun. This is the first time we've taught this class. How many so. weeks is it again? It's four weeks. It's through November, and I'm not sure what we're going to do about Thanksgiving weekend yet. We may either tack on a couple of days, the first two days of December, or or just try and compress the material. We haven't decided yet. I but love it's, the title. I love the boot camp, although it sounds painful. I hope it won't be painful, um, but the idea is just it's sort of a crash course like what you didn't learn in library school, um, and so we just sort of came up with that as a working title, and we thought it was cute and fun, so we stuck. I do. I like it. Yeah. So there, I'm sure we have a couple other, but first, that's what we call these before we actually get into our topic of talking. Um, I'm going to ask Rachel what, because uh, Rachel just had orientation, right? So you met all your first-year students, basically. Kind yes. of. In a way. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> ideally. In the world ideally. of perfect, beautiful things. Yeah. Yes. Theoretically. Um, yeah, we just had our first ever library orientation thing that we called the library treasure hunt because it was all pirate themed. Um, but <laughs> it was great. It was so cool. We had all these people dressed up in pirate costumes and the hats and stuff. Um, the end. Anyway. Um, yeah, it was kind of like a introducing a fun gaming kind of atmosphere to a traditional library orientation. So going around to different desks and doing different activities at each of the service points around the library. Um, and the, the sad news is we only had about 100 people come out. We have 1,500 freshmen. So um, I better promote it next year. Wait a minute. Um, was this Friday, though, when the hurricane was coming through? Um, yeah, but the hurricane wasn't until Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think that played a role. Like, it was a nice day outside, actually. Okay, because I wondered about that. I'm like, Rachel's yeah. thing is today, and Irene's on her way. Okay. Yeah. I was a little worried about it, but, um, yeah, I don't think, like, hysteria really set in D.C. until Saturday. <laughs> so, then, Rachel, I have a practical yeah. question. For an event like this, how, how might you dress? <laughs> well... If you're me, um, we bought several costumes. We have four mascots in our library. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, monkey, uh, pirate, ninja, robot. You're right. Oh yeah. Wow. Nice I have done. I have some. I have some of the robot um, stationery that Rachel. Yeah, had. it's all very cool. But so the pirate was kind of the leading mascot in it, but the other three mascots were around the library. So like the ninja was leading the. Um, to indoctrinate them in the different noise levels in different parts of the library. And I was the monkey. Um, I was the final destination for them. So I got to hand out. Is there any chance that you'll let us post a picture of the monkey costume on the show notes? Yes. Um, Yeah, you will not get to see the face paint. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, the really funny side note, 
is about a week before the event started, a new Twitter account um, was activated called AU Library Monkey, and uh, nobody knows who it is. I have no idea. And I've asked everyone in the library that I can think of that it could be, and no one will take credit for it. It's AU Library Monkey? AU Library Monkey, and um, they're claiming to be the Library Monkey. It's It's been a very fascinating sort of mystery for me. Oh, my God, it's like uh, Dooley. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I, I don't know why someone's imitating the monkey, but anyway. That's, um, but it was that's awesome. I think that's that, great. I think, that's yeah. awesome that anybody cares enough to bother yeah. to impersonate the monkey. Yeah. Or to embody the monkey on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I really good feedback. We um, did evaluation forms, and the vast majority of people really liked it. So, Was it integrated into the orientation, or was it like an optional, you know, this it was is going to be happening Friday night? It was an optional thing, but it was listed as part of their orientation week activities. So, And we also, we had someone dress as a pirate and a convocation and stand, like, as they were marching in line uh, with the library treasure hunt one to five, but oh well, we'll figure it out for next year. But it was really fun, and we had a lot of collaboration throughout the library, which was really cool because I don't usually get to talk to all of those people, um, and to have everyone uniting for one grand event was a lot of that is nice. I agree, that's nice. Team so, building, informal team building. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes for next year. But um, I'll probably put a blog post about it on my blog um, with more pictures, hopefully. So that's my Awesome. Nice. Anna, how's it going? I'm doing all right. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still, you know, I'm doing all right. I, uh, <laughs> I feel bad, actually. Um, it's a hurricane for you guys. Uh, we were without power for 36 hours. Which is wow. bad compared to others, um, but it. Uh, I had to actually go out and talk to my neighbors, which was kind of crazy because I don't. <laughs> I'm very, very private. But anyway, um, I guess instruction-wise, I've been. Uh, I've been kind of traveling to another branch. I did a Facebook and a Twitter presentation out at another branch. So in a way, I, w- I was feeling a little bit stressed because I was doing my classes at my branch plus these other classes at another branch. Um, and it definitely, I was feeling it. I was feeling a little bit stressed out about it because it's just more time, more preparation, plus you're going to a new place, and what if this doesn't work on blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, is it going to, just all those factors. Cause you, have you ever gone into a place where you walk in and the, the projector doesn't work or the internet doesn't uh, work? Oh, yeah. You know, I hate that. That actually <laughs> happened with the Twitter one, the projector, the LCD projector wasn't working. Wow. Yeah, so anyway, you know, you do what you, you know. Yeah, you don't need a screen to show Twitter, right? Hell no, you just... no, of course not. <laughs> no. Just give everybody some index cards and tell them to write out right. things. Right, here's a post-it note. I'm going to explain Twitter via post-it notes. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. It would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? You could you? actually, yeah, I could see making that work. That work. Yeah. I actually yeah. asked for post-it notes. I'm like, can I have some post-it notes, please? <laughs> um. But it's nice to be asked. I guess one of the things the woman had said to me was, do you think other branches are going to start asking you to come do these? Because people are on Facebook and Twitter, but they don't feel comfortable teaching it or talking about it. Um, And they just saw I was doing it. I said, you know, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see if it does happen because while it's fun being the itinerant librarian, it's uh, traveling around really isn't all that in a bag of chips in rush hour and whatnot. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So this is why I don't want to ever commute. I think it's very stressful. Yeah. So anyway, but it's it was nice. I feel like I'm getting out, and, I, and the nice thing about it is that, as always, I always tell people, you can contact me. I'm always here to help you. And they have taken me up on that, so I'm watching our stats go up, 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 which is nice. Cool. Cool. That's great to get some good uh, feedback like that. Yeah. Yeah. You should change your title to, like, Social Media Maven of New Jersey or something. I don't know if I want to be that. <laughs> I think we've already got a, couple, a few of those already. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've already got some of those. I'm uh, not a maven. What would be a step down from a maven? Countess? Duchess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll draw up a chart. We'll draw up a chart before the next episode and figure that out. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of what's going on with us, <laughs> with me instruction-wise. Oh, and I did another Skype class, which is seriously my favorite, favorite class to do. So much fun. If any of you ever had the chance to do a Skype class, you got to do it. <laughs> it is because people, they they log on and they're good to go and they walk out armed and ready to go on Skype. It's awesome. It gets a little chaotic because everybody's calling somebody, but it's, it's good. <laughs> Rachel, did you teach your first class today? Did you say the first class of the semester? Yeah, it was this morning. Second day of classes. Um, uh, so these poor freshmen, it was their very first session. Oh they came straight from college, uh, the writing center, to oh, me. <laughs> I know. And it's just one of those things where it's like, okay. I made one of those classic mistakes of trying to throw too much at them. Because so I was like, well, they're going to need to know how to find books. And if they're going to find books, they need to know about our consortium. If they need to know about our consortium, they need to know how to request books from the consortium. You know, that kind so of stuff. So easy to right? do. When will uh, we learn? When will we learn? And it's always that first class that you do it, and you're just like, yeah, less oh, is more, Christ. less is more. <laughs> yeah. the you'll, only learn, thing- <laughs> you'll learn when you come to my Simmons class, my Simmons library oh, instruction God. boot camp. <laughs> I won't mention it again. I'm sorry. That was too, <laughs> that was too easy. Uh, but the, the only thing I did well was that I said, okay, there's two things that you guys need to remember, and you can forget everything else if you want. And that's one, how to contact a librarian, and two, um, to wait a week, or uh, to give yourself at least a week to start their research. And I quizzed them at the end, and they were very good about that. <laughs> so they at least did those two things. <laughs> and then I told them, you know. But you got the main one out there. How do you contact a librarian? Yeah. And you know, oh, actually, so this is, um, <laughs> did you guys see the Chronicle of Higher Ed article from, like, last week? I'm going to um, say no. Probably not. Which oh which my are- god! It, so it was like a two-year anthropological study of how students do research and the library's role and how they see libraries. No, no. <gasps> oh my gosh! I will send it and put it in the show notes. Um, it's a fantastic study, which is like even what we've given them credit for is wrong. Like they're not good at well, they're absolutely loathe to ask a librarian anything was one of the big takeaways for me they hate asking librarians for anything they will ask everybody else before they'll ask us that's true so uh, yeah that's yeah. true i knew that already. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so i've been trying to like think of ways to combat this other than just seeming like a nice friendly person which i've i feel like i've been doing all along so i've been trying to explain more about what librarians roles are and um, why exactly they should ask us and why they shouldn't be afraid to ask us and how I felt when I was in their shoes. and I, Yeah. 
I spent a lot of time on that. Actually, uh, did you see Catherine Pellegrino, another friend of the show, did you see her blog post this week about uh, faculty perceptions of librarians? She posted actually as a, a follow-up to that, or not as a follow-up to that, but it makes a nice follow-up to that. Uh, she posted about an article that she has going into publication soon where she did a study that suggests that if librarians say, ask a librarian for help, it has little effect on students. If the professor says, ask this librarian for help, then it has a profound effect on student behavior. So getting the faculty involvement is really key. And that was actually one of the points in the article was that they're good mediators. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and so I've been trying to contact more professors too just to say like, hey, even if I don't teach, maybe I could stop by for a few months or get added to Blackboard. I, uh, I posted a, a Twitter link to it, and I saw that one of my communication faculty retweeted it, so I was very pleased about that. Hmm. I guess that makes sense. I mean, that kind of goes along with things that, that is in line with other conversations we've had about how if the professor stays in the classroom while you're teaching or if he, mm-hmm. they, they actually feel that partnership between you and the professor they might it's almost like they put you you've earned their whatever you've got the clout that okay this person must know something because dr so-and-so is over there you know trusting this person with this information so i just think it's that part of that whole collaborative effort from the get-go i actually taught my first two classes of the semester back-to-back yesterday afternoon uh we're a week into class so it's not quite as early in the semester here as it is for rachel but um I had a lot of back-and-forth conversation with both professors. It was the same course, but two different professors. And I made a point of having a lot of back-and-forth dialogue with the professor during class and saying, like, you know, I would make a point saying, Dr. Freeman, do you agree with that? Or is there anything Mm -hmm. that that you would add to what I just said? Mm -hmm. And I really felt like it made a big difference in the participation, the amount of participation I got mm-hmm. from the students, and I've, I'm going to make a, a conscious effort to do that more often because I really felt like it, it kind of helped me jumpstart the, uh, the class discussion, and that worked really well. Cool. Shall we get into kind of our, our uh, topic for the month? Sure. Yeah, we've kind of started touching on it a little bit. Kind we of have on a little a, bit. Um, I, I guess, you know, at one part of it is, I think, also the time of the year that we're. It, it, it's a weird time. I was thinking about this, and one of the things we wanted to talk about today was kind of how you prioritize and manage your instruction. Um, and, and I think there's two levels here. There's for yourself as a person, and then there's at the programmatic level. Yeah. Um, and it's such an interesting time to start talking about it because it is at the beginning of the semester where I think everybody's probably feeling already burnt out. <laughs> well, and that's that's not a coincidence, because I was the one who suggested this as a topic, and it's because the, the start of semester was very much on my mind, obviously. Um, kind of what, I, let me give you a little bit of background about what our situation is here, and just sort of why I have been thinking about this and, and, uh, and brought it up, if you don't mind me monopolizing it for just two minutes here. Um, you know, I've been getting busier and busier in my, I'm two years into my role as subject librarian, so I'm, I'm pretty well entrenched with the faculty now, and they know that they can count on me to do these sessions at the beginning of the semester, and I, I definitely 
don't have to solicit any business from them. I just wait, and it sort of rolls in, and they, they start emailing me, when can we do the class, when can we do the class? And so, uh, you know, we're getting busier and busier. We're down a couple of people in um, uh, the reference and instruction areas. Um, you know, we're short a couple of people on the reference desk, so people are doing more um, uh, more desk hours this semester. We are talking more in our library about how to prioritize this. It's it's one of our um, uh, it's sort of one of the the initiatives that we're thinking about is a greater focus on graduate and faculty research and. So we're talking about what that means in terms of new responsibilities for the subject librarians. And the big question, of course, is if we're doing more with this higher level research, what is, what else gives? You know, because we something's gotta give. We have 40 hours in the week or, or more sometimes. But, um, it's, I'm starting to sort of feel the crunch and we haven't even really taken any major steps in this direction yet. I've got, um, uh, there's a foundation class that I do every semester. It's um, like, uh, I think they might even call it fun Foundation of Research, Foundations of Communication Research. They just changed the name, but it's it's like a 2000 level, uh, sophomore level class. And there's seven sections of it. And um, there's a new course coordinator, course director. And we're like, okay, let's see if we can get all these in a week, all these done in a week. And I just couldn't fit them all in. And I had to ask for help from my colleagues and covering these. And so I've got that whole week booked up. And um, so other classes are coming to me with requests, and I'm having to say, well, we're either going to have to do them really early in the semester, like yesterday, or we're going to have to put them off. Um, you know, I'm taking a day or two off around the Labor Day weekend, and so I'm going to be a little bit short the following week. And so I'm just thinking about, we're not at a crisis point or anything like that, but I'm thinking about how do I prioritize this stuff? And one of the things that we're talking about is the lower division classes, the freshman classes, in some cases, um, we may just have to be using a libguide. We may have to be using video tutorials and, you know, answering questions by email, but not do a face-to-face session. Um, So I'm kind of thinking, what can I do with this journalism 2500 class this foundations class it this i feel like it's a really important class to these students for a lot of them it's their first contact with me but on the other hand it's a 2000 level class and i'm getting requests from 4000 level classes that i'm having to put off because of this so really it uh just to to think about how how to prioritize it, and we we talked to Anna started a great thread today on uh, friend feed in the LSW room um, that uh, I think we'll link to, and people gave other suggestions about how they they can prioritize their instruction time. But anyway, that's just kind of what I've been thinking about, and how I uh, why I brought this up as a possible topic: prioritizing and and trying to avoid you know burning out by doing too much at once. Um, Anyway, so I'll shut up for a second. Uh, Go ahead, Rachel. Okay. (laughs) I think, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing in the short term is kind of all you can do of just, you know, juggling what you can and asking other people for help. Right. Um, And part of it goes back to what are the priorities for your unit, you know, Mm because different institutions value instruction over reference or, you know, meetings over other things. And so 
if instruction is a high priority for you guys, then they kind of have to help. Well, yeah, and see, the the problem is that I'm not the only one who's this busy, of course. Um, Everybody, especially those of us who do the arts and humanities stuff, have a lot of instruction requests. And so I'm not, I know I'm not the only one in this boat, and there are colleagues of mine who do more teaching than I do. And and so I feel kind of bad asking people to to help step in and cover classes, and, um, uh, you know, which... I'll, I'll just go to therapy for that. That's fine. But, um, but you know, I want to I, I want to think about more efficient ways that that I can do this. And and this is not uh, we we do value instruction really highly here. But it doesn't have to necessarily be conventional face to face instruction. We're sort of trying to think creatively about what are some of the other tools that we have. We do have a new instructional designer on staff. Um, so the tutorials are all going to get a lot more attention than they have for the past couple of years. Um, we have people who can work on those. Um, of course, we have libguides and we have you know course management systems that we can potentially embed ourselves in and so on. And, uh, and I have some other ideas, too, for how I, I might potentially uh, deal with this class. I just, I th- oh, what? Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, <laughs> Rachel. Oh, well, I, we were just talking about how nothing really takes the place of face-to-face time I know. with the class, with the instructor, and that's how you kind of start building relationships with them. So, you know, I think tutorials are gaining concepts, but in terms of kind of long-term support, it is better if you're there and they're meeting you and they're interacting with you and they, you know, become comfortable with you. And I think for me, the only viable long-term solution is has to be programmatic that you're picking and choosing which classes that you're seeing mm-hmm. you know so that they don't see you six times during their career and start to think oh god i'm gonna learn the same dumb this thing. guy again yeah exactly <laughs> and so that i honestly all the communication faculty should be getting together with you to decide what's the best times that to they should true, be seeing to you. have a true tiered program where you're exactly. not having this kind of repetitive. I remember when I was at UGA, I had one student, I mean, I think four times in one year. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. dude, do you want to come up and teach it? Because, I mean, I didn't say that, but, you know, it was just, he's like, hi, Anna. I'm like, oh, my God, you poor guy. Yeah. And, of course, it was always like the second day of class that he was coming in. So it's not like we were even delving into other skills, you know, yeah. subsets of those skills. But if you can get some sort of agreement with them, then you can fill in. If anyone else wants a library component, that's a great time to go to tutorials, you know, and say, well, I'm here, I'm available for your students, but these are the classes I'm really trying to work with to make sure that they get those research skills. Well, we do have some programmatic components that I can can sort of work with. Um, A couple of things come to mind. One is, like I said, this particular course that I I was sort of struggling to fit everybody into one week, um, seven sections into a week, um, there's, like I said, they they have a course director for the first time since I've been in this role. So there's a professor who is in charge of all the sections of it. It's actually taught by graduate students, Mm -hmm. but she can go to them and say, okay, here is how we handle the library component of this course. And she is great. We've worked together on her, her own classes previously, and we get along great. We have a really good working relationship. And we did sit down and have a meeting about, um, okay, how do we want to handle this class? And she said, and I, I sort of expressed a little bit of this to her, just, you know, I'm thinking in terms of how, how best to serve all of the, the classes and so on. And she said, Jason, we can handle this however you think is best. 
Um, she said, if you, if we need to change this to a tutorial format, that's fine. Whatever you think is is going to work, then I'll go with that. So I really do have a lot of leeway and a lot of discretion. This is not like something that's been handed down from the library administration saying you cannot teach the freshman classes anymore. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what they're handing down to us is think about how best and how you can how you can best serve your departments. And if that means going to tutorials, that's fine. If it means um, doing face-to-face for everybody, that's fine too, whatever you think. So, I mean, they trust us as professionals and the, the communication um, professor who is, is over this, this particular course, you know, trusts my judgment and says whatever you think is going to work best for this class is what we'll do. So that's great. And we've also got a program on campus called... Um, Oh, geez, now I've got to think of what CTW stands for. Um, Critical thinking through writing, that's it. And several of our classes are dedicated as CTW courses. So like the the journalism history class that I've talked about on the podcast before is a CTW class. Those that have a strong research and writing component, those are ones that that the library is making a real effort to reach out Mm -hmm. to as well. So I do have some natural kind of priorities that I can go to, Mm -hmm. and I've got some uh, that that are kind of really built into the university uh, uh, curriculum at a, a programmatic level, and I have discretion to handle it how I think best. And I, I think, ult- sorry, Anna, <laughs> I'm dominating again. Screw it. I love when you um, dominate. <laughs> I'm going to let that one just sit there. Sorry. <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to Oh, I think <laughs> ultimately what I, what I think is probably the most helpful is really to map out what it's like for a communication major. What classes are they going to at what times? And what new skills are they gaining in those classes? And then you can start to identify, okay. So, you know, obviously the intro to research as a communication major is one of the big ones that they're going to hit. But, like, you know, is there another step beyond that? Like, are they starting to do senior-level research in, like, a capstone, Mm. you know? And maybe those are the next ones to target. And then things that don't fall into those big kind of steps up for them in terms of research skills... I, to me, those would become my bottom priorities. Like, I'd love to work with you. Maybe I can make a lib guide for you, some online tutorials. But they're probably going to get similar skills as to what they've already gotten in some of these other core classes. Right. That's a little tricky for me because they often take stuff in just whatever order they want. You know, we have kind of a non-traditional campus. Our students are very sort of... In some cases, there are prerequisites they they have to take in a clear order. But I have students who take this uh, Foundations of Research class in their senior year after they've taken some of the other stuff. So that gets a little tricky. I do try to think of it in in terms of that. And they are encouraged to take that early in their their career at Georgia State. But it it doesn't always work out perfectly that that way. now, this is kind of an interesting idea that I, I got from one of my colleagues. Our uh, former Emory colleague, Ida, is now our psychology librarian. And she has a freshman um, uh, psychology uh, required research class that has, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 sections or something. And she she just can't possibly hit all of them. What she does is she does a, uh, a research workshop and she does like a part one and a part two. And she offers each of those like twice a semester. 
and the students have to come in and take one of them, one of the part ones and one of the part twos, and they have a quiz that they take online. So, A, that's attendance, and she can report back to the instructors, This is these are the people from your class that have taken the library uh, program, the library class. And she's also got some assessment data out of it as well. And I'm thinking about that as an option. I love that option. Class. I think it's a neat idea. The The trick would be, see, now, as it is, I've got, like, guaranteed FaceTime with all the classes. And if I did that, I, I'm afraid that I would lose that and I would I would lose seeing them early on because but almost every, you know. Don't you ahead. think you'll have people coming in at the time that they're actually needing that research so it'll be they'll be able to apply it more it'll be more yeah. of a successful application for them. I think it could be and it'll also be it would be a self-selecting group which is good and bad. I mean, I know yeah. that the people who came to it would be the ones who are really dedicated and really interested and really feel like that they're going to you know they're going to engage with the material. So I, I have very mixed feelings about doing it that way. So I'm still chewing that over. It was it was too late for me to think about doing that this semester. Um, so you know I'm I'm going to see how that goes, how that idea develops in my head. I have already gone to libguides and tutorials only for the freshman speech classes, just because there were too many sections of them. There were like 30 sections of them. Excuse me, and I found that. I, now, I wasn't teaching 30 sections of them, but I was teaching maybe 10 sections of that class, and I, I literally just couldn't keep up with all that and everything yeah. else. Um, and what I found, though, with that was they were getting almost exactly the same stuff in that uh, library session as they would have gotten in their freshman English class that most of them really were taking at about the same time. And that was also a lot of non-majors, so I would see them that one time and then never see them again. Right. So um, I've just gone to, you know, email support, libguides, tutorials for, for that group, which, you know, in a way, just in practical terms, I kind of had to do. And, and I did it with, you know, with support from my manager. They were like, yeah, fine, that, that sounds very logical. Can I go um, back to the research clinic thing that um, the psychology librarian that Ida was doing? Uh-huh. Are those, did she have some type of, I guess, agreement or collaboration with the people who were teaching that, that... There, it was a, it was part of the curriculum that they that students as part of their coursework attended part one and part two of that, or was it really it was on their own? I just want to clarify for myself as, that they were, as I understand it, they are required. Okay, yeah. but yeah, still, and, people didn't go. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm speculating about what might happen if I. Oh, didn't. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know, but as I understand it, yeah, they get like you know, one point toward their grade or ten points toward their grade. I don't know how it works, but they get it's it's an assigned requirement of the class as I understand it. And the next thing when you sorry, now I'm gonna totally be the hog here. When Do you it. when you were talking about your communications that which is a freshman level course you said, first year level, one hundred level. Yeah, now uh, I was talking about the first year speech classes that I'm not doing face to face anymore. Right, you're doing those that. were yeah, this is actually a, a 2000 level. It's Journalism 2500, so it's a sophomore class, and it's pretty much journalism majors only, so they are they are in the communication okay. program at that point. And it's required for all communication majors. There's, um, I, I thought you had talked about one where you were doing LibGuides specifically for it. You were like, I can't reach all these sections. Yes, and that was the freshman speech class. Okay. And that is, um, that is one of several uh, choices for all undergrads. 
So I, get, I was getting a lot of non-communication right. majors in that. Yeah. And you said that you were getting people who it was a repeat for them. Because they were getting, basically the assignment was so close to the same kind of, or the assignment wasn't the same, but the research they were doing was like give an informative speech on this topic. Mm -hmm. And so the research stuff that they were doing was so uh, similar to what they were getting in their freshman English classes where it was write an informative essay on this topic that uh, I I really felt like my time and their time was not best served by a library. And in that case, you're you're banking on probably ninety percent of them have already seen a librarian before. I mean, yeah, that's, and that's my concern when we talk about. What, and I'm not saying that's what GSU is doing, but you hear about schools saying we're not going to we're not going to try and really push the face to face with the first years anymore. And I don't know if any school's doing that to that extreme, but to me, those first years, I mean that that transform that transferring or coming in from a high school media center mm-hmm. to an academic library is night and day. They are com- I'm yep. sorry, they are. They are completely different. Yeah. Um, just how they're organized <laughs> alone. <laughs> I mean, one's Dewey normally and one's Library of Congress, whatever. But then you think mm-hmm. about the special collections and databases, sub- databases and, yeah. and the subject liaisons and I mean, we could go on forever. Yep. I do. It makes me... And I hear it, and I cringe because I'm like those poor first year students. You know, we're gonna, they're coming in, and and everything, and it, well, because you want the tier so that when they're not their senior year, they're in their senior year, and like, well, I don't know what EBSCO host is, or I don't know what Academic Search Premier is, or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that in your case, that that LibGuide is fine because they're probably seeing a librarian somewhere else. They are, as a matter of fact, because we have an undergraduate services librarian who is specifically sort of our first year outreach person. She's, I mean, she doesn't have a, a subject as such, but mm-hmm. she she's you know part of our subject librarians team to not to use our jargon but to kind of explain yeah. what their situation is. She's a subject librarian whose subject is basically the first year. They, um, the other thing was, is when it comes to the tutorials, and, and I know I am, I have been guilty of this, is that I feel like so often people throw a tutorial or a libguide or whatever up there with, and it's like, here it is, use it, <laughs> where it can be. And Meredith Farkas just wrote an article on this in American Libraries. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but it basically was talking about integrating tutorials into the curriculum because they tend to be this kind of things that are floating over here, you know, hanging out. And, yeah, they're here. You can use them. But she was talking about integrating them into the curriculum. And one of the things that I she mentioned was that North Carolina State, their Lobo, you know, they have the, the Lobo, um, their online tutorial, which I think, if I read correctly, if I remember correctly, is integrated into that English 101 where you – Everybody tries to get those English 1000, whatever system you're mm-hmm. using. Mm-hmm. And they it's modules. And in those modules, they actually give recommended lesson plans or example lesson plans on how to use them, which I thought was pretty nice because I know I've n- never seen that to that extent. We're like, here's this module and here's something you can do along with it with a lesson plan. So even if that faculty member or graduate student didn't meet with the librarian, they could at least maybe look at this on how to use it as an, a library instruction component, even though the librarian person wouldn't be there in it, if that makes sense. 
And that's um, that's kind of my thing about tutorials is I I had to get that in before we ran out of time. Because <laughs> I just I worry that they're not integrated into the curriculum. And I know LibGuides tend to be, especially class specific ones. I'm I'm totally in favor of because they are focused on the assignment at hand. They're not here's everything on women's studies under the God's green earth. I mean, here's mm-hmm. something that can specifically help you on this specific assignment. So I think when people have subject, class-specific libguides, it's more effective. There's probably studies out there, empirical research on it, but I haven't, you know, I'll try it tonight. I'll do some research tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've hit on exactly what I'm worried about, which is, you know, just drop a drop a tutorial on them and forget about it. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You've actually given me some ideas. One of the things that I, um, I don't know if I mentioned with the uh, psychology labs that Ida is doing is that she's got a, um, uh, she's set up a uh, an assessment quiz in uh, Google Forms, mm-hmm. and it just drops the answers into a spreadsheet. And so she can, uh, you know, she just grabs the spreadsheets every semester, and she's got some assessment data. Um, something like that that could accompany a tutorial. Uh, uh, yeah, accompany a tutorial. You could build both into a libguide. And if you've got, you know, if if the professor goes for it, you could just say, you know, here I've got this to to show you, and you know, if they can do this quiz, either you know, and collaborate with the professor on a quiz on an assessment instrument of some kind, so it's it's more um, integrated into the class and mm-hmm. isn't just here it is, go watch it. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. if you have a learning object within your libguide, a learning object and a learning object, it's <laughs> if you could do some type of a feedback or assessment on that, that Google Docs way that you were talking Mm -hmm. yeah so i had never used this it's called google forms i think is the Mm -hmm. and it's it's part of google docs and i had never used it before but um i'm tinkering with it for history of journalism um my colleague jill and i who co-teaches the library part of history history of journalism um we're working on one this semester i'm hoping that we're going to have it ready to go by next week when we're teaching the class for the first time i think one the whole libguides for the intro-level classes to consider is that really at that level, they should be going to the reference desk. They don't necessarily need to contact you as a specialist because their questions are probably going to be something that any librarian can answer. It will. So it's not even, yeah, so it's not even necessarily appropriate that you would go in and develop that relationship because like you said, they're not necessarily majors. You know, it's not necessarily you that they need to be introduced to. It's just answer their questions. So I think directing them to the libguides and to the desk is more than appropriate. Yeah, I, I, I do feel that's true for the for the freshman speech classes. Um, I think that worked out well that I just had to let go the, the face-to-face part of that. And, and, you know, and that plus it was it was kind of redundant with stuff they were already getting. Yeah. Classes, so. Is it more, I'm trying to think, it feels like I see more. We, I, we don't necessarily have this in our library, but I feel like I'm seeing more kind of assistance um, presence, kind of that help presence at the point of need. So if you're in a database, do they have that now where you can, the chat, like text a librarian or chat a librarian is right there in your database and you can, like I'm in I'm in Academic Search Premier and I need help with this, right. whatever. Is yeah, that, we've we've got more and more of that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think our I think our EBSCO databases have it. Um, we just set up a new um, discovery layer. We got the EBSCO discovery service mm-hmm. and uh, I think our chat widget is in that and is it in like catalogs now and I just I mean that's where they that's to have them go over to this other chat thing 
to have them leave where they are. I just always thought that was kind right. of problematic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they have to find where the chat is on your website, which, you know, hopefully they can. But yeah. Not yeah, a problem on our website. It's it's pretty <laughs> much everywhere. Once you get out into the vendor stuff, the right. catalog and the databases, then less so. But, um, yeah, it's all right. over our website. In with the research process like it is if they're, you know, still opening another tab and making them go back, you know. So that they're not just continuing on their merry way. They have to stop and look for help and then go back. Right. And if it's on the page, already on the, again, you said it's more ubiquitous in a EBSCO host. If they're already on their, whatever, citation page, they can just type right there and not have to leave exactly. that page at all. Yeah. So I feel like you're reaching them in different ways. Yeah. Sometimes I would love to, like, just map out, like, one student's, you know, use of the library during their four years and like every time you know like their inner thoughts every time they could have used library assistance and what they did and how they got there i don't know i think it'd be really interesting i think if you can find a way to do that you would sell a lot of books (laughs) (laughs) so i have to build an automaton into grad school no I do think a lot of it comes from the leadership also um, of the team, of the department, whatever whatever term we're using these days. It's uh, I think that a set, those goals have to be set, and it can't be okay. That's okay if you guys go this way and someone else doesn't. Someone else is still getting slammed with classes. I think that there's a managerial aspect to that as well, programmatically. There is, and I, I feel like we've got that here. I feel like nobody quite. It knows sounds that like that. Yeah. It's very. It's it's sort of early in the discussions, but we we are talking about you know how what how are our responsibilities going to be changing, and what has to give, and we you know we don't have any answers for that. But one of the answers seems to be, at, at you know from my very limited perspective, admittedly, but one of the answers seems to be that different subject areas are going to have different needs. I mean, there are my colleagues uh, uh, who teach, you know, the sciences stuff have a much lower, my impression is they have a much lower (laughs) um, uh, request rate for classes that they're just simply doing less teaching and more of other things that I'm not doing as much of. It's it's different needs. I mean, the whole, how you do research in the sciences is fundamentally different. I think it's so centralized and Especially when you get into health sciences, they try and make it as easy as possible because the databases are catering to doctors right. who don't have that much time. Yeah. Right. And if yeah. You're... So PubMed, you know, is the classic example of it tries to do this for you. It, it takes your keywords and magically transforms them into the best search it can, you know. And that is, you know, other than showing that to students, it's like, okay, well, go do it and you'll probably be successful. You know, so it's a different level of support and that's just you know, one example, but yeah, absolutely. That's, it's the exact same thing that we're finding. Like I, science librarian and that I am teaching more classes than I ever have, but it's still like a third of the classes that the communication librarian, the international studies librarian are teaching. Mm -hmm. It's just different needs. And And I think, I think programs are starting to see, it's not about the numbers. It's not about how many classes you saw or how many students. I think it's more about, um, and again, this is just stuff I've read. I mean, I'm not involved with it necessarily anymore. I think that they're looking more, are we strategically placed throughout the curriculum where we're effective, where the effectiveness is. 
is higher than the numbers. Because I just know in other places I've been, it was all about numbers, numbers, numbers. I'm like, but this only yeah. really says so much. <laughs> yeah. And- it's really confusing. Well, for us, I mean, we're we're talking about exactly the same kind of stuff you are, um, Anna. But it's it's um, we're looking at at assessment, but it's not uh, our measures of success are not how many classes we teach and how many students mm-hmm. we reach. There's maybe a little bit of that, but um, we're really having a lot of conversations about um, how we can assess the the success of what we are doing, not. You know, not by volume, but by how we're reaching students, how we're reaching students. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's those graduating students. Do they have the research skills that you expect them to have? Those freshmen at the end of their class, do they have the skills that we hope to impart on them? And you really need support outside of the library to help assess that. Y'all, I had a high school student the other day. Um, They were, she was being tutored, and she came up and she was asking a question, and, and I, she was asking me about a reference that she had. She was doing a bibliography. And she, I said, well, you know, what was your source? And she said, Google. And I said, <laughs> was it a web page? Was it a journal, newspaper article? Mm-hmm. It was Google. <laughs> Maybe she was writing about the uh, the image of the day on the, you no. know, Google. No, Rachel. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> no, honey. It wasn't that. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I'm just, oh, bless her heart. I mean, it's <laughs> It was yeah. interesting because he, I just take it for granted. I'm like, people know that they're looking for, they're looking at content when they're going through here. But no, it's to, to some, it's Google. It's all Google. Yeah. It searches things. It's Google. <laughs> it's Google. It's Google. <laughs> we should write an article. Like, everything is Google. Uh, I, I think um, uh, Siva Vijanathan might have beat you to that with his book, The Googleization of Everything. Yeah, there you go. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Anyway. So we've solved everybody. So we've solved the problem. <laughs> Except I, I don't, I, I still don't have an answer to my question, but what I really wanted was <laughs> to just have a conversation about it and kind of get out uh, some of what I've been thinking about that, and I've um, I've certainly succeeded in doing that. And you guys have actually given me some some really good ideas um, for where to where to take my thoughts with this next. Um, I know that I know for a fact that I'm not the only person in my department who's struggling with this. Um, you know, history gets huge numbers of instruction, arts gets huge numbers of instruction requests, and. Um, you know they're they're going to be asking us to do more and different things, and uh, you know part, to some extent it's a question for the management, but um, they're they're really seems to me taking the right tack, which is giving us the discretion to handle it the best way we feel like it'll it'll which best serve awesome. departments. Yeah, because so you know your discipline, you know your curriculum. Sure, and I've I know I've kind of said that a couple of times, but I, there are universities where they they are having the mandate of. You know, we're we're no longer doing face to face instruction for undergraduates, and I just want to be clear that is not the case here by any means. Um, we we really value uh, the face to face classroom right. instruction. We're just thinking about you know how does it best serve students given that uh, you You're know thinking about it strategically. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Right. We, you know, we've got to strategize instead of just saying yes to every single class. Uh, you know, it, can we continue to do that or? Do and I. I agree. It's, an, it's a conversation that has to happen. And I think, um, you know, each university, each college has to have that discussion. I know that 
when I was involved with ACRL, we had a, they used to do discussion groups. Um, it's different now. I think it's brain. No, we, we used to do brainstorming sessions. I'm sorry. And this was back in 2006. And we would get maybe 30, 50 people for these. And we did one in 2006 at midwinter, which is lower, lower attended anyway. And it was about the instruction balance and how do you manage the, you know, the numbers and who's teaching what and how do you, you know, avoid burnout and keep your staff, uh, energize, etc. We had 200 people come to this brainstorming yeah. session. Wow. I mean, it was, it was huge. And what people I think really took away from it was it was really, they had to go back to their individual institutions and look at those yeah. priorities. Yeah. And there's no one answer that's going to solve no, everyone's No, no, problem. no, no. I'm interested to know the people who aren't doing face-to-face anymore, but, um, or, or who were saying, let's, let's cut back on the face-to-face. Um, I, I just uh- kind of want to know. I'm I'm hesitant to to say because I'm I'm no, afraid to get to. it wrong. I, that was more, I'm <laughs> sorry. I've, that was more rhetorical for yeah. me too. I I just want to know the thought process behind it. That's all. Not you don't have to and, tell me, Jason. Okay. <laughs> and I'd love to hear how it's going for them and what yeah. their students. You know, are they getting more questions at the reference desk? Is it impacting other areas? Mm-hmm. You know, around the library. You know, one of the things we hadn't even talked about this. One of the things when Anna posted her thread to FriendFeed about this question, um, people started talking about um, how they adjust uh, reference desk staffing during instruction season, so to speak. And <laughs> and that's such a that's such an obvious thing. It never would have occurred to me. But um, you know, we heard from from one library that. Um, uh, that says that you know subject librarians who have heavy teaching loads just aren't doing reference desk during those three or four weeks, and I was like, oh my god, that would be <laughs> that would free up six hours a week for me, and it would give me blocks of uninterrupted time for class prep, and it would it would really increase my availability for classes, right. and yeah, and so on. I don't think that would work here because we're we're short a few um, reference uh, staff positions. You know, it's I, I guess that what it means is that um, the paraprofessionals are doing more of the desk time. Well, something and, else that was brought up was that they were bringing in librarians from other areas, which I think cross-training uh, is just mm-hmm. fabulous to do. I mean, yeah. I, I do circulation one night a week, and I love it because I feel like I understand the system better. I understand what, what how we're working. Like, I hate the word workflows, but basically the flow of the work and what's going on. <laughs> so gonna, did you like that? That was, yeah. that was a good way to avoid saying workflow. Sure. Thank you. I hate that term workflow. So anyway, um, I think, I think that's a great idea. Bring it. There's probably other staff out there that want yeah. that experience. Now that would be in grad school in library school that are mm-hmm. dying to work at the reference desk. Yeah. That would be easier to do at like a campus that has multiple libraries or, you know, uh, a library system that has multiple branches. I think it would be tricky to do here because we have bringing people in from other, uh, other sites because, you know, we are so centralized that pretty much everybody, you know, there are two libraries at Georgia State. There's the law library, which is much smaller, and there's us. Somebody would have to learn a lot of procedures or else maybe just with careful scheduling, make sure that they are on with, with an experienced person from, from on site. Right. You bring in someone from acquisitions or cataloging right. or Yeah. Oh, you're talking about people from other areas of the library. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking you were talking about like <laughs> other campuses or other locations or something. No. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> no. 
You know, we have actually done some of that here. Our, our library uh, students, our MLIS candidates, have um, worked the reference desk and do work the reference desk. Uh, now, staff folks who are from other areas of the library, areas like facilities and circulation and just all over the place. Yeah. Um, Although I do is, like the idea of bringing people from other libraries, too. I mean, the, I would love to have yeah. had some time over at the science library when I was at UGA. I would have been scared out of my mind <laughs> every time. <laughs> You know, I want I like science. But the the cross training has worked really well here though. That's we awesome. we have yeah, we've we've been able to beef up our, our desks some at a time when we're um, really at a low point and um, one of the people from circulation who just finished library school and has been cross training on the reference desk just got a uh, a subject librarian appointment here. So, she's going to be our interim uh, one of our interim subject librarians. I think it's a one-year appointment. Yeah, so that's success for everybody. Yeah, so that works great. And Jason, one other thing that uh, our library did over the summer, because we are with the reference desk and the teaching, um, my supervisor asked us all to, actually, I think she just compiled a list of our statistics um, of how many classes we're teaching, how many personal appointments we had, Mm -hmm. and how many hours were at the reference desk. Yeah. Based on number of personal appointments and instruction sessions, that now determines how many hours you're at the desk. So the more classes you have, the less you're on the desk and vice versa. We track all of that. We track all of that here because we've got consultation software where we're tracking every contact that we have for consultations, for for Mm -hmm. personal appointments. And, uh, of course, desk time is easy to track, and we track, of course, every class that we're teaching. So it should be really easy to pull up those numbers and just give the break to the top people and then add more hours to the bottom people. Um, just to help redistribute the workload is what we've been calling it. I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that to uh, my department head in our next meeting. At least suggest that as a uh, as something to think about. You know, since we're having this conversation about prioritizing time. Yeah. Um, now, you know, people might not want to necessarily work ten hours on the desk just because they teach fewer classes. They may not. You know, they may have other uh, responsibilities. But I I think it's worth looking at. That's a great idea. Yeah. And, and that's yeah, that is that you guys, if you guys value both reference and instruction highly, yeah. then yeah, you do. know, as a unit, you have to make it a priority. Right. Yep. And and um, solve world peace. <laughs> <laughs> We're close to out of time. Shall we leave it on that optimistic note for yes, this? World I mean, peace. I, yeah. I very happily we should end run. every episode that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you two, but I feel energized. <laughs> well, let me let me just say, on a, a as a, a, a professional um, conversation, this has been very um, positive for me and has helped me uh, think about these questions in new ways. So, thank you, guys. This is exactly what I wanted to get out of the episode this month, um, and I hope that some of our listeners will uh, leave some comments and uh, and or email us, and uh, we'll read uh, if we get any good comments about this. We'll read them on uh, on the show next month. If they're bad, we will throw them in the trash. If we're bad, then... Just... <laughs> if they're bad, the comments are bad. <laughs> That's not true. We'll answer them. They may be snarky, but we'll answer like, them. Only if it's a good comment. <laughs> All right. Thank you for Thanks, listening. Everybody. This has been episode 29, uh, just in under the wire at the end of August, and uh, we'll catch you in a month. 
Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Venskoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.